HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills, and also by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com and SpringerMountainFarms.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, guys, we are live at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. It's March 5th, 2017. We're in uh, the heart of Charleston, and I'm very happy to be here with the Heritage Radio Network crew. We got David and Kat and Katie. They all came down from New York City. Uh, thanks woo, woo. to uh, Springer Chicken and Big Green Egg who helped sponsor you, this today. All right. So we're, we're now, we, our first uh, panel, we talked with uh, some of the brewers from uh, Charleston, uh, from Edmonds O's. We talked about the beer scene and some low country food in Charleston. Well, now we're going. You know, showing you how just how diverse the Charleston Wine Food Festival is. Uh, we've got two chefs from Atlanta, Georgia, and, and a winemaker from Oregon. So, you guys, just say your name and, and, and say your affiliations. Ladies first. Oh, thank you. So, my name is Tamina Momtazi from Maysara Winery out of McMinnville, Oregon. All right, Oregon wine. Woo. Rusty Bowers, Pine Street Market, Atlanta. All right. And Nick Leahy from Salt Yard in Atlanta. So we're going to talk a little bit about, about each one of their specialties to, to kick this off. And first, Tamina, you know, we met earlier today. You're, you, you were excited to come on the, the radio show. Um, some of the features, the wine features of the, of the event that you like. So there's a wine store. Tell us about how, how you're involved here, that your product's available. But this is a very unique festival. So all my wines, oh, my wines are at Bottle, which we get to get to taste soon. And um, so I got to do a luncheon yesterday, a winemaker dinner. And what was the luncheon called? It was um, at a farm. So the whole idea was like slow food um, ideas, and they paired my wines because the whole concept of being a biodynamic vineyard, being environmental friendly, and they picked chefs just identical to that same idea that I had with my wines. So it was a great luncheon. Your biodynamic wines, and what were some of the dishes that were served? Can I just tell you the carrots, like stole the show for me. I am apparently a, a rabbit. Like, I love carrots. Cooked carrot dish or oh, raw? Oh, God. It was glazed and it was so This is like one of those barbecued. $35 carrot entree dishes? <laughs> it could be $100. I would have been eaten it all. Like, all it was right. so good. 
And then Rusty. So Rusty, Hello. your name came up. Rusty Bowers. I wanted to call you Rusty Brown, but Ted said no. It's Rusty <laughs> Bowers. But you're you're a big craft butcher, and that's really yes. happening. Tell us a little about but some of the things that you've been doing at the festival as an introduction. Oh, we had a lot of fun on Friday. We went to Pugin's Porch and had a dinner with uh, Nick Leahy and some other chefs. Um, we've Good been times. working with Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms. We did a Springer Mountain smoked chicken sausage with bacon and sage. And that, that's, what, that's what you're serving right now. That's what we so have right here. Right next to the, the radio tent, we've got this uh, sausage. And yeah. tell us, how, how did you make the sausage? It's really so good. We, oh, thank you very much. We take some Springer chicken thighs, grind them with some of the chicken skin, a little bit of our bacon, some uh, black pepper, sage, and chilies, and a little kosher salt. That's it. And then um, and what, smoke what's them the over apple call wood. Chow chow? It's a do south chow chow. So our, our friend, uh, Chef Nick Melvin in Atlanta. The other Nick. A, the other Nick. The other white Nick. Um, has a, a pickle company, and that's his chow chow. So it's uh, pickled cabbage, a little red pepper, a little vinegary, a little sweet. Wonderful stuff. That's great. And then Nick Leahy, I met you last summer. You came up to New York City with uh, Springer Chicken, July Georgia 4th, Grown, yeah. Big Eggs. Uh, nice to see you, man. Good to see you again, man. And t- tell us about some of the highlights of the festival for you. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've done, I've done an event every day, so I sort of kept myself busy. I, I, I do better with no downtime, but I did uh, an event at Cooper River Brewing on Thursday night, which was really cool. They have a really cool space and great beers. Um, Were you cooking there? Yeah, so it was uh, called Foul Mouth, so every chef was nice. making either quail or uh, pheasant or duck. So, yeah, it was a really cool event. Uh, once the once the gnats went away, anyway. what was your what was your dish? That you I cooked? did uh, I did confit quail. So we cooked the quail in duck fat, uh, crisped it up, and just served it with some beets and carrots. See, you know, Car- since we're in Charleston, dish, right? there you go. I, I know you guys are making me so. <laughs> Southerners and our carrots. Since we're in Charleston, though, you know a little bit of low country, you know, culinary history. Um, there was a guy, Bill Neal. I'm gonna keep talking about him. I know Randy, the festival director, knew Bill Neal. Not that many people know him because he died young. Um, but in, in the 2000s, his wife wrote a book, and, and, and it's been a comeback. Have you guys heard of Chef Bill Neal? I yes. haven't. One of the first. You've heard of him. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us what you know about him. I've just heard he's just one of the staples of the, the Southeast and just kind of uh, such an inspiration to so many people. So w- what are some of the dishes that, that you associate with this region? You mentioned quail. Um, I mean, low country, it's all, you know, shrimp and grits and, you know, Carolina gold rice. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of really iconic dishes that sort of go along with the cuisine of this area. Um, yeah. Welcome we, to the we, show, we did a man. dinner at Pugin's, which is the oldest restaurant in Charleston. So they, they have a side of their menu that's sort of dedicated to all the, the classics. And then they have like a revamped, modernized menu of it, too. So it's a really cool restaurant to go see all the iconic dishes of Charleston yeah, in a beautiful old Charleston house. So, so what do you guys think of as like, iconic dishes? of Because I'm, I'm coming here from New York. It's my first time here. Sure. You know, and I want to come back. What are some dishes that I, that I should try that represent Definitely the shrimp and grits. Uh, that's probably the, the most famous. Yeah. Definitely all, all the seafood dishes. I mean, right. you know, you're so close to the water here, and that's really influenced the cuisine here a lot. So, yeah. I was going to say oysters. Oysters. Yeah. yeah. The oysters are amazing here. They're a little bit saltier here than the Northwest. Go, go get some of Claimer Dave's oysters. He's good stuff. Well, a lot of good yes. heritage pork here as well. Nick, you got to pour us some beer. We got to. I bought, I bought a couple too, special so, ones. Yeah. So. My two favorite breweries from Atlanta. So we bought some uh, Creature Comforts beer and some Sweetwater beer. So oh, wow. this is a Creature Comforts. It's a double cocoa bunny. So it's a chocolate milk stout that they make with Condor chocolates, oh, which is out delicious. of Athens, Georgia. And then uh, Sweetwater just had their 20th anniversary, and they bu- brewed this double IPA as their 20th anniversary beer. So 
Rusty, crack that open. Absolutely. I'm, like, I'm going to saber it. And Nick, you also bought a beer. I can saber this for you guys. <laughs> this is my profession. <laughs> did, did you do the sabering? I know the, the festival kicks off. Everyone sabers um, champagne. Oh, uh, sweet no, water tastes really good. I was still you did know, recovering it. Did anybody see that? Sabering to kick off? You did? You got to come up and sit with us, too. You're awesome. <laughs> She actually sells my wine over yeah. there. That's just Come on, Smith. we'll talk about wine too. So get up here with us. But um, you popping the you know Nick's got me three beers in, in five minutes. That that's a, that's how a I roll, Jimmy. So you brought me off of one. Cat uh, says her favorite beer is Orpheus. Yeah, so they're right in Piedmont Park in Atlanta. They make great beers. They're really known for like their sours and their stuff like that. But uh, oh, yeah, boys, one, one beer at a time, guys. Yeah. Come on, I'm gonna overwhelm everybody. Oh wow! And more stuff. So let's you know let's dive into Georgia. That's just like. Wow, oh, you guys whoa, are here in Charleston. Whoa. Doesn't seem that far away, but it's, it's a Cheers. different. Uh, yeah, I know. There's a yeah. party right and there. She's, to me, is on her third beer in, in five minutes. The rock star. Help her back but up. Right. Tell, tell me about this scene in Georgia where, where you guys are from. In particular, you as a, a craft butcher, um, Rusty. Yes. You know, tell us like, kind of the, the things that you do, things you're involved in. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, one of the things I love the, the most about Atlanta is just the food community. We're all friends. We're all brothers and sisters working together and sharing ideas, sharing events. Um, every Saturday, I'll teach classes at the butcher shop about whole hog classes, sausage making classes. Weird meats classes. Weird meats. We did an unusual meat class with Nick Leahy where he came and did some octopus. We did some Peking duck, some braised goats. You know, my, my buddy in New York, uh, these guys at Harry and Ida's, Will Horowitz, last week there was a charcuterie master's event. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, we hear about people talking about meatless Mondays, and I know a lot of the slow food people that I know don't eat meat, but I'm like, fooey. <laughs> I love I love hearing about master butchers and, right. and charcuteries. Meat and um, vegetables taste great together. Yeah, yeah. So, but the, he he was roasting an alpaca last week. Oh wow! But, you know, talk about even at Heritage Foods, uh-huh. they try to they're trying to get people to use more goat because right. you know the male goats get slaughtered. So you know whether you're a, care, care about animal welfare or, or you're just a carnivore, I mean we have to keep track of this whole food system. So tell me, more. I want to hear more about the meats you're doing and you know the in, impact you guys have in Georgia. That's what we're sure. We about. um we are proud to support. I think eight local farms right now is who all we buy from. Uh, we're getting five pigs a week from Riverview Farms. Uh, we also get uh, all of their cattle comes come through us, and we're getting ready to open a second shop that we'll co-own with Riverview Farms. So it'll be Atlanta's first um, organic farmer-owned butcher shop called Chop Shop. And Nick, what have you learned learn from him? I mean. You're taking classes. I don't think I'm allowed to say that on radio, actually. Yeah. But no, um, you guys are bad boys. If yeah. you're with Ted Nelson, Dumbo Marketing, you're all bad boys. Oh, I know yeah. That. I don't the know, worst. It's really great to go into his shop and just get to, I mean, there's a lot of laws around the charcuterie, so we're not allowed to do it in the restaurant as much. So when I go over to him, we get to see the, the hanging country hams and all that kind of stuff. Why, is really it a, like a, a state ag thing, or is it a Well, it's something that um, I'm, I'm yeah, able to start helping people with and doing some consulting to get restaurants above board on but um yeah we do a lot of uh we have a big curing cave that uh we play the motown and he, the blues he's, all the he's actually allergic to his culture. own curing cave it's a fun <laughs> fact are you guys fans of salt bay you've seen the meme on instagram you know salt bay oh. as his hand goes up he's he's not pushing the salt out he's releasing it oh that's and, the uh, secret he kind of goes and he, he slaps and talks to the right. meat i thought you show him massaging a big he cat. gets right. a little weird with it i'm not gonna lie i thought the v-neck was a secret a fake thing on instagram i was like this guy is kind of weird but it's a secret as you go up you just kind of let the salt fly out but are you doing that you're playing music to your meat is that what you're doing absolutely so it's cultured told you these were bad boys yeah And so, what are the laws to do that kind of curing? And so we have is it the, a state law or a federal law? Oh, we have the USDA is there every single day monitoring what we do. So you're really actually a meat processing facility. Right. Yes. 
I feel your pain on that. The government comes over, FDA, USDA, inspect me, OSHA. They're wonderful people. They're listening. They're listening. They're wonderful people to work with. They are because they're hungry. Yeah. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> we had some of your sauces over here at the the, the Springer Chicken and the big Green Egg sponsored station. Go over there and get some. And what, what, what's the exact name of your dish? We did a um, it's chicken a smoked sausage. chicken sausage with bacon and sage and a do sal chow chow. It's nice. Yeah, All right. thank you. Toast to that and the beer that we're drinking. So the the dark one that you poured. I know uh, Tammy already had three beers, but I'm only on my second. <laughs> What is it again, Nick? Tell us so about this. It's from Creature culture. Comforts, which is a brewery out of Athens, Georgia. They they've sort of taken Atlanta by storm, uh, or Georgia by storm. They have uh, Tropicalia as their signature beer, but this is a new one. So it's a milk milk stout, mm. and it's brewed with uh, Condor chocolates, which is in Athens as well. Wow, so. the, the chocolate's not bitter at all. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's delicious. <laughs> but so, Nick, as as a chef at your place, do you, do you use a lot of craft beer? Is beer a big part of your program? Yeah. So, or is it uh, more wine, wine and liquor. Well, I do the beer menu because that's where I'm sort of passionate about, and my my partner does the wine menu because that's where he's maybe a little bit more passionate about. Not that I don't love me some wine, but mm. um, <laughs> we we have so many good craft breweries in Georgia that you know we do six rotating local taps, and all of our can and bottle list is local except for. I have to have Stella Artois on my menu. That's the only one that uh, is not not from Georgia because so people you need keep some, asking someone at Sweetwater to make a Stella style beer, right? Yeah, that's what, knock yeah, them off. Yeah. Boom. We, we just came up with the idea. That's there right. there we go, making things happen here, Jimmy. So Salt Yard, tell us how you got started. Uh, we started about four years ago. Uh, the The concept is um, it's like tapas, so small shared plates, interactive dining. But instead of just being Spanish, we cook uh, whatever we feel like cooking. So whatever comes through the back door from the farm, super seasonal. Uh, it's actually a really nice way to cook because, like she's saying, the best dish was a carrot dish last night. So, you know, we don't have to be so formulaic with our meat, potato, and vegetable on the plate. If we want to make carrots the star of the dish, carrots the star, or corn, or whatever comes in. So, and How important is, is Georgia agriculture, like Georgia grown, to what you guys are doing in, in Atlanta? I mean, I, I think it's, it's essential. Like, right. um, it's the core a, a, of what both of us are doing. A tomato grown in Georgia tastes better when it comes through my back door because it was picked and it's still hot from the sun, you know, as opposed to a tomato that was picked green and shipped across the country from California or something like that. Right. So, yeah. And we're, we're a small business, so we like supporting other small businesses, which, you know, the farmers are, for the most part, very small right. businesses. So. so glad you guys are here, man. Yeah. So, Tim, let's talk about wine at the festival. So um, we, we did a, a open the festival with a sabering. And please, you, you were part of that, so please introduce yourself. I saw photos of that. I, w- I want to be there next year. Awesome. My name is Jesse Smith. I work with Curated Selections. I'm a distributor and a sommelier here in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I used to work with the festival a couple of years ago and actually continue to organize the sabering team for the opening of events here in Marion Square. So how many people were part of the sabering? Because that was always my fantasy to have a big, giant outdoor you know, sparkling wine. Is it champagne, too, or...? The champagne actually came from Veuf Clicquot this year. We were wow. very honored to have that as our champagne. Um, we like to match the number of saberers with the anniversary, so we actually had 12 saberers this year. Wow. That's really cool. It's kind of hot, right? I mean, you, and in, in your world, in, in Oregon, do people do anything crazy like that? Champagne sabering? or You come over it? late nights, after parties. Yes, we do that. We have to be act professional during the day. We don't need I, a I've, had, I've had guys saber us some, some uh, bottle-conditioned beers, too. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I've done that. That's so awesome. You're, so you're a, a distributor of, of wine in Charleston. That's correct. So how is her wine here? Like, tell me the, the legal track. So did you guys import it, distribute it? Is it for sale at a wine store? It is how is for her, her wine at this festival? 
Her wine is for sale at two different retail stores here in Charleston, at Crushed Fine Wine and at Bottles Beverage Store. Um, the wine is supplied through Tamina from Mesara, comes to us on an awesome refrigerated truck. We get it here, we let it sit for a couple of days to settle back down, and then we take it out and show the world. They love it. And you happy happy with what's going on here? Yes. I mean, um, Curated has been with us for one year, and we're very, very excited because their team is amazing. They know wine, and that's really important because they know like the chefs, the farmers, everyone, because it's, more, it's really important to know those kind of people to get and then tell the story about my wines. So Charleston's a big wine town. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Judging by the people in this festival. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. My question turnout. for Nick. We're going to keep bouncing around. This is from uh, someone in the audience. Uh, Nick, what is your philosophy of flavored dinners? Uh, so that's a dinner that we started doing. We've done uh, three of them now. So it's sort of like a next-level beer dinner where we don't just take it and pair it, but we actually talk about why they flavored the beer that way and how they flavored the beer that way, and then we use that beer in each course, not just paired with, so it's cooked into the food, so you get a true, true pairing. So it's, it's sort of delving a little deeper than your average beer dinner. So That's great. And um, Rusty, are you doing anything with a wine or beer? In, in, oh, we do a lot with place? the wine. Yeah, we... Um, we did for the Falcons going to the Super Bowl. We didn't like the way it ended, but we did a Dirty Bird sausage. Um, we took Wild Heaven's uh, White Blackbird Saison and made a chicken sausage with that. We'll do uh, d- feature different breweries and uh, brines that we do, and just love cooking with beer, love cooking with wine. So you guys, you have a, your USDA, you know, facility. Yes. Is that part of you have a restaurant too, or is it more of a butcher no, shop? No, we're just a butcher shop. We we sell to about Don't thirty-five. Say just a butcher shop, Rusty. not just. Come on, no. We are we are a butcher Don't sell shop. yourself short. We got this. <laughs> we, oh yeah, you got some we fans have, out there, and, the, and then you're talking about your fashion afterwards too. Uh, yeah, uh, we have we sell to about thirty-five different restaurants up and down the East Coast. Uh, we ship nationally through our website. We have our retail store, open-air farmer's markets. Each week we'll do about 1,000 to 1,200 pounds of bacon, about 800 pounds of sausages, different salamis and stuff. Um, I'm rocking a leather apron that I got last year when I went to uh, Rotterdam with Big Green Egg, and I helped out some of the Michelin star chefs out there for an event. So craft butchers, I mean, point. are there other craft butchers that, that you would say in the States that you look up to? Um, Ryan you think Farr. you're at the top of your game? Yeah, Ryan Farr is one of them. Uh, Michael Sullivan's another one. Um, there are more and more coming onto the scene. Liddy and Gruddy. Um, just a lot of wonderful butchers out there. And it's cool to see all of us coming together and be friends and buddies. I think wow. people are getting more interested in knowing more about where their food comes from. So that's why, yeah, why the you protein know being your butcher, that whole yeah. thing, right? Yeah, we have the tagline, Know Your Butcher. Is more one of more our beer coming over this way. More beer. So, Know Your Butcher. Um, I want to make a toast to everybody. Who's here from the festival that loves craft butchering? Sausages, Woo-hoo! salamis. And uh, that, that sausage you made, the, the, the smoked chicken. Yeah. Tell us how you made the sausage, the recipe for that. Because I know it's Springer oh, Chicken. Sure. Uh, so, it's just uh, the, the chicken thighs from Springer Mountain. We love those because they're, they're so rich and flavorful. Um, just a little bit of, of our bacon, like the, the different ends and cuts of the bacon. Some black pepper, chili, sage, a little bit of chicken skin, grind all that together. And then we smoke it over a mixture of organic white oak and apple. Yeah. And then cook it on the egg. Let's have some fun. First, if anybody wants to try some beers, I think Nick has a couple. I mean, we've got right. some from Edwin's Oast. You can come on over here. The party starts now. Come on, now. Matthew. 
You guys can pour. Woo. We got the uh, IPA from Ebenzos if anybody wants it. Somebody can pour that around. Wow. But let, let's, let's have a, some fun here. Pretend we're planning uh. a, an interesting wine and food tasting mm. with the three of you. So, so Tamina, let's start with you as, as the winemaker. You know, we've got a great chef working with local product and a great craft butcher. You know, how would you guys start cooking up? Say you're going to do a dinner tonight. Tonight? And you First thing we do is we sit down, open some of the beer and wine. And uh, try what try what we're working with. Yeah, that, that's the hard part about beer that's dinners is you, beer and wine dinners. You, you have to taste everything to make sure you're pairing it right. right. So you know, it, it's a struggle, but somebody's got to do it. You know, but it's funny because I actually look at first what, what the weather is. So if it's a hot day, right. then I want like something lighter, and then I start thinking, okay, well, what beer is our light? What wines right. are light? And go for there because sometimes it's it's seasonal, like. I mean, I like to say I can drink Pinot Noir, but I go for the lighter years. And because with Pinot Noir and those light vintages are amazing because you can refrigerate it. And it's like party in the in So today everything. it's about 65 degrees in Charleston. You got the weather. Yes. Oh. So what, you're going to do a light Pinot Noir or you, you want to taste the food first? I make a sparkling Pinot Noir rosé. Wow. Yes. It's to die for. Sparkling Pinot Noir Rosé with some of those Charleston oysters. You get yeah. yourself yeah. the start yeah. of a good dinner right so there. So we, yeah. we, build, we build an open pit. <laughs> we get that going with some good lump charcoal, some good good wood. Put a little, put a little bit of Rusty's bacon on those oysters. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, man. And that's that. Now we're starting to dinner. Okay, what about Sparkling hot rose. wings with it as a hot side wings? appetizer? Yeah. yeah. We've got some good barrel-aged hot sauce that our friend Terry Koval makes at Wrecking Bar. Put some of that barrel-aged two-year hot sauce on those oysters with a little bit of that bacon. Dang. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Barrel aged hot Dinner again. How does he and make that's how the magic sauce? happens right there. Is, is he using certain peppers? Or He's using uh, peppers? locally grown peppers. I think uh, Bobby Britt is supplying his peppers. I think he grows his own, doesn't he? Is he gro- oh, yeah. They've got the they have their own farm. farm. And so they, Lucky guys. Uh, yeah. They make the mash and put it into one of their oak barrels they have for their brewery and let, just rotate it and let it sit for two years. And then you guys sit down. Hopefully the health yeah. inspector for George is not <laughs> listening right now. Yeah. I mean, as, a, as a winemaker, <laughs> what, what are off flavors? Like, let's say there's a certain thing in one of their dishes that you didn't expect. What's an off flavor that would throw that sparkling Pinot out, out of whack? Well, I want to say it can take all the heat it wants. So, so I heat's say okay. It, heat's okay. Um, butter's okay, too. Probably too I much acidity? Like, yeah, because, yeah, I have a l- amazing acidity, oh, so wow. it will just, like, clean everything up. I think that, yeah. So, therefore, I, think I don't think... When you're pairing, you can either do something that you, like, sort of mimic the flavors in the dish, in the wine together, or you can do them as a mm. contrast where, you know, if you have something that's a little bit... If your wine's a little bit sweet, you can serve it with something a little bit spicy, and the contrast makes them both taste more. Yeah. Or I, you can mimic, and yeah. it makes them sort of come together more as well. So I think the only the bad quality of anything is dirt. I mean... Garbage. We try not like, to serve yeah. too much dirt yeah, at the yeah, restaurant. Yeah, so. All right, now we're going to do a so, dirt dinner. I don't think do that's a, dirt a dinner. defect. My wines pair really well with everything. So it's a good thing, a good quality. What to about have my you guys? Wines. Is there's a one thing that you would throw in there to screw up the pairing? Like for me, it's a chaiswan peppercorn. Like right. when I have that, a lot of restaurants in New York City are using it. My tongue kind of doesn't really burn. It has that numbing effect yeah, to chaiswan peppercorn. Numb. Yeah, right. Oh, that's a good point. But then, then if you have a wine that has a little bit of residual sugar to it, right. I'll just clean that up. Right. So therefore, I don't think yeah. that's a... Well, that's a wonderful d- thing no. about if you're pairing really good food with really good wine, you've really got those buffers there to where they're there to help each other out. They want you to be well-fed and drunk. They're their best friends. Yeah. And, and what about like a, a real fatty pork dish? 
Oh, yeah. You know, it's, 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 say, nice, say the weather is... A nice acidic red, honestly. Yeah. I was going to say uh, a Pinot Noir. Was, yeah, with some like, I have acid. a 2010. Like, I was actually just thinking right now, it's like pork belly. Even when he said, like, a big fatty pork, I was like, pork right. belly would do really well with but that. But the last thing you want is, like, a lighter wine that just gets lost with the food. So having a, having a big wine paired with that fatty pork belly, they'll play really well together. Do, yeah. do you think... Are there, are there beer pairings that go better with certain foods than wine, or do you think they're equal? The winemaker's probably not going to like this, but yeah. I actually think that uh, beer offers more as a food pairing because there's more different flavors in different types of beer than there are in wine to me. And I think there's more notes you can play off of. And I think that when you cook the beer into the dishes, it's more present than if you're cooking the wine into the dishes. It stands out a little bit more at the end of the day. She's looking very, very cross with me right now. I was going right you maybe need to try my wine. Unfortunately, my wines was sold out at a year. Well. So therefore, must be I was good. There say, you go. Yeah, it must be that. Congratulations! Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's <laughs> yeah. a great problem to have. Yeah, I was like, oh. And then Nick, uh, give us a quick recipe that, that you, a meat dish that you cook with beer, something that you you would do on the fly. Uh, we had a Springer Mountain chicken uh, braised uh, thigh on the menu, so we it's we called it a four twenty braised thigh because Sweetwater, uh, their signature, their first like really famous beer is Sweetwater four twenty. It's a pale ale. So we'll take the chicken, sear it, and then braise it half in chicken stock and half in beer, and it really picks up a lot of those flavors. So it wow. really like steams it into the meat, so it really permeates. That sounds so. good. We got another question from the audience uh, for Rusty. Yes. Why do you love big green eggs so much? Oh my gosh! Because um, they pay for great... him to go to Rotterdam. No right? way! <laughs> I loved it way before that. Um, I look at the big green egg not as a grill, but as a, a wood burning oven. And we'll do everything from cornbread. We'll take the grate off and do uh, caveman steaks where we get the coals to about 1,000 degrees and throw a beautiful flat iron steak on there. You'll throw it on the coal? Directly under the coals. Wow. No salt, pepper, season it when it comes off. Um, and one of the classes at Big Green Egg, I teach how to turn, for about five bucks, how to turn your Big Green Egg into a cold smoker. And that's a lot of fun. How do you cold do that? Cold smoked salmon and cheese. Just with a, um, a little bit of white hot coals. Uh, see, some rosemary branches, maybe a single pecan shell, and then a, a tray of ice with salt, and then a little wire rack on top. And it just—it's so easy to cold smoke. So I love that thing. I think the versatility smoke, of the egg is what makes yeah, it great because you can literally cook anything from. Can you bake bread in it too? Well, yeah. Yes, yeah. Desserts, definitely. everything. Put some lodge cast iron pans on there with just uh, bake some bread in them. Yeah, cornbread. Yeah, but even regular bread, I've, we've made cakes on it. Um, cold smoked mayonnaise, say, pizza, yeah. roast oysters, you name it. We, have, we use ours at least every day. I'm interested in this cold smoke method. Yeah. So p- pick an item. Cheese. And you're cold, cheese. How, how long do you need to put it in, into cold so smoke? So by cold smoking, I'm keeping it below 70 degrees. I'm cold smoking. If I use a little bit of apple or rosemary branches, I'm, I'm real big on the classes that uh, keep your money in your food, not on your accessories. So that's why we're doing it just for five bucks. We're smoking with rosemary because you always have way too much rosemary or pecan shells or citrus zest. You don't need to go out and buy your wood chips. Um, so get those rolling with those white hot coals an hour to two hours tops, cold smoking. Can I take you home? Let's do it. We'll <laughs> cold smoke some wine. <laughs> what about in Oregon? So Oregon wine country. Tell us where you are in Oregon. So <laughs> I'm in the Willamette. Yeah. <laughs> we have two different cl- uh, climates, too. <laughs> So in, I am in the Willamette Valley, so I'm an hour and 15 minutes southwest of Portland, but about 45 minutes away from the coast. 
So I'm like where the vineyard is. I'm in the Van Duzer corridor, so this nice wind gust comes in. Also, I get the coastal breeze, so I'm a perfect climate where to make Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, Riesling, um, Chardonnay. I'm mm. trying to remember what I make. So it's similar to Burgundy, <laughs> like you have yeah. Burgundy-esque yeah, styles uh, of wine. I like to say I make old style of Pinot Noirs, meaning like to respect acidity, tannins, and alcohol. I don't make big bomb wines. I just make really respectful Pinot Noirs. And what, let, let's have uh, you guys tell us how you got started, because a lot of people are interested in going into culinary and, and, and winemaking fields. Did you have any training? How did you get started in this field? I have a beer master in winemaking degree, so I have a formal education. I mm. went to school at Oregon State, and it is a four-year depart, um, degree. So I went to Oregon State, graduated from there, worked in New Zealand, Worked for a couple wineries in Oregon, and then 2007, I took over my family's business. So, is, is, wow. was science a big part of, of your training? Yes, you I need to study science, kids. Yes. there's no kids a here. A lot though, of but. chemistry. If you can deal with chemistry, the youth of Charleston <laughs> study science. Yes, that's right. Definitely. And that's just getting. If, if, now, for making wine and beer, if you don't if you don't have a good science background, you yeah. can't do it anymore. You can't just be a home home brewer. And, and, and go up to a larger level brewery. Ha, I thought you? for a minute I might be a brewer and thought it was a great idea, but then I thought winemaking's way better because I only need to work three months harder. And then nine months, or like about about nine months, I can like Go be to lazy. food and wine festival and yeah. Oh, yeah. hang out. Oh, go wine <laughs> dinners. And it's a all. good life. Yeah, I know. I get yeah. to travel. <laughs> yeah. We got to toast more. And uh, Nick, how'd you get started? I mean, I met you last oh. year in New York City. Uh, honestly, yeah. I started cooking. Uh, Rusty Bowers. I started cooking Ooh. with my mom. She's uh, she's a great cook. So by the time I was ten years old, I was cooking with her, and she's she's a Rusty really Rusty Bowers, the man, the meat magician. That's actually what he's known as in Atlanta. Just for the Ta-da. record, right? says it on his chef jacket actually. Um, but yeah, started cooking when I was young, and then I started working as soon as it was legal to uh, do so in kitchens. And I went to college for a little bit. Didn't didn't perhaps performed so well there, so <laughs> returned to kitchens, because that's where my passion was. And, yeah. Did you nice. party hard? Uh, I didn't, I just, I didn't attend school that much. I guess that's the, uh, that beer. was the main problem there. B- but, beer is yeah. something that you can drink and live long and prosper with. Not like some liquors, but Nick knows what he's doing. A beer a day. There you go. That's right. But in, what were some of the first places that you worked? Um, so I worked at a, a restaurant for four years when I was uh, coming up called Food Studio in Atlanta under Chef Chip mm-hmm. Oldbrick. Uh, that was uh, where I really learned a lot. That, that's where I went from being a cook to my first sous chef gig and all that. And then uh, a couple other places in Atlanta, some of the other big restaurant groups. And then I went and worked in London for about a year, year wow. and a half. Uh, and then I came back to open Salt Yard when, when my wife decided she missed the sunshine. So we left London. So. Russ, do you think that, sh- that to be a chef now, you have to go to a cooking school? Or do you think it's still okay just to work Is your this- way up? festival in any way sponsored by any culinary schools because i got asked no no more (laughs) i got asked this atlanta food and wine festival and i said what i'm about to say which is no i don't honestly think that culinary school is all that useful i think it's better to go work in restaurants and uh you just learn a much more like practical and it's it's more real life you know in culinary school you get four hours to plate up one dish and if one of my cooks takes four hours to plate up one dish he's not, <laughs> he's not gonna no have a job for real long <laughs> but i gave that answer at atlanta food and wine festival and i look up at the back of the tent like where you see the breville sign there and it's it's sponsored by um art institute of atlanta so it was sponsored by the culinary school so well, got, got, got a little got awkward there for a minute got but, yanked yeah. out of there <laughs> and uh, and, for, and for you rusty tell us how you got started i've been a chef for about 17 years and uh was 
fortunate to travel. It, um Grew up at the beaches in Florida and Jacksonville and then moved to Maui, then Austria and Turkey and then New York and went to school at CIA up in New York, then to Atlanta, um, then met Wes and Charlotte at Riverview Farms and really fell in love with the whole, uh, the way they raise animals and just the, seeing how that, the whole animal wasn't being celebrated, wasn't being showcased in the Southeast, just kind of fell naturally into the butchering and here we are nine years later. Wow. So if you're doing a, like a, a pig butchering 101. Yep. You know, and I don't know anything about it. Yep. You know, what would I start with? Like, how would I so start? So what we'll do is you'll, you'll walk into our butcher shop. We'll have a 200-pound pig laid out. Uh, one of the farmers that raised that exact pig, we'll talk about how they raised it, the difference between that and commodity. And then um, we'll start uh, with the head down to the shoulder, then the ham. Then you'll cut your own pork chops, make your own bacon. We'll have a big lunch. Uh, usually beer from Wild Heaven or Second Self Brewery or one of the three taverns. Um, we have a lot of fun. Cook lunch on the egg, big green egg. We love you. What's your favorite? You know, you're, you're geeking out. You're doing, you know, you're breaking down that pig. Yeah. Who likes charcuterie? Is there everybody? Keep yeah. looking at the ladies over there because they're interested. All right. Yeah. Who likes charcuterie? Like, I, I can live off it, but it's bad for you. It's got nitrates. You know, ah, well, is we, it bad for you I or actually not? wrote a brochure on how they're not bad for you. So I could go into a 15-minute Let's talk about it because some people freak out. Oh, absolutely. When my wife says, I can't buy bacon with no, nitrates. No, 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 no. Yep. Um, she doesn't understand. So back Only if she's pregnant. Otherwise, you're good, bro. <laughs> right. Back in the 70s and 80s, everyone's packing all these nitrites into to hams, tur- uh, hams, bacon, um, sausages, whatever. And then people were getting really, really sick. And Clinton administration steps in and figures out that um, they're carcinogens. It's bad for you in large doses. They get it down to 120 parts per million. Um, it's the only way to legally make cured meat, whether it goes into the smoke or the cave. Then you go, hold on a second. I was at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and saw this nitrite-free with this beautiful little asterisk. Then at the bottom it says, it says nitrite-free at the bottom except for what occurs naturally. So you're getting natural sources and sea salt, celery, beets. And on average, because it's hard to regulate, they have about three times as much nitrite as our stuff that's straight up. So, so you're saying they're just like processing beets and celery right. to so create nitrate. Right. So you're getting one way or the other. So yeah. ours is the safest. It's the only way to prevent botulism in meat, and botulism will kill you. It's the only thing that makes bacon taste like bacon, not barbecue. Salami is that rosy red color. I think you touched a nerve here, Jimmy. Man. Yeah. This is the thing I'm the, one of the most passionate about. You ignited the passion about. here. More yeah. food history. Who ever read Sinclair Lewis, The Jungle? Oh. Maybe in high school? That's... So 100 years ago, what you hear about in China was actually the practices in America then. All these different types of Wild West right. factories throwing a man or a rat falls in the, in the, in the pressure cooker, right. and that's part of your meat. Um, but, but so these food laws are really part of why food's safe right. in America. You, have you studied them a little bit? I mean, do you know what it, take, what it took to roll that out? I mean, you're about in China. They're putting powders in right. to milk. We know that's not the case here. Right. But 100 years ago, it was. So, so what, what, what did it take to, to make America safe and, 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 and the best producer of, of these products in the world? Um, I don't think we're the best producer. I think that um, the best ones are going to be in Europe to where they've been doing it for thousands of years and the government's kind of backed off a little. I think right now we're in an era to where we're seeing all these wonderful artisan meats arrive and and kind of rise up, and the government is still trying to figure it out and do studies to know it's safe. Um, Like we've just recently backed off from having to cook pork to 165 degrees. Now we can cook it to 145 because they realize trichinosis is gone, listeria is so rare, pork is very safe to eat. So we're starting to see the government... 
kind of give control over to the producers and kind of relax the laws like they do in Europe a little bit. So it's it's wonderful to see that. I mean, talking about botulism, I know we're going the other direction, right. trying to not help our appetite, not take it away. Right. When I was a kid, they say, "Oh, don't buy a can in the supermarket that that's got a bulge on it." Right. But have there been cases of botulism in the last few years in America? It's it's really rare to see. It um, we're seeing a lot less botulism, a lot. Fury, coli. Now when there's an E. coli outbreak, it makes national news because it's so rare. Um, with the 24-7 news, it kind of feels scary, like all that's really out there, but it's not out there as prevalent as it used to be. It's but I also th- believe that the food processors, you know, catch it really quick. Absolutely. Because that's one thing about farming is like if like the incident about that, the spinach about E. coli was they it ca- right. caught it quick and, you know, recalled every product that went that's one thing that's, you know, our time today is great. And, and do you think that for, you know, buying from smaller farms, smaller processors, is, is safer or is it equal, equally safe to buy in commodity foods? I think there's definitely a benefit to buying from the smaller guys because, right. you know, you know that the person that grew your vegetable cared about it as much as you do when it comes through your door from the time it was in the soil. So... Uh, it's not saying that a big farm doesn't do a good job, but when you can literally look the person in the eye and sort of have that sort of confidence with it when it comes through your door, I think it's just another level. And uh, I'll tell you, if anybody if anybody wants to get us some of that smoked chicken Springer sausages, yeah. I think with the panel and the audience would love to taste it. What do you think? Yeah, you think it's okay to pass it out to Absolutely. everybody? Absolutely, we got yeah. quite a bit out there. We got some great volunteers here at the. As I say, we're live at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival here in downtown Charleston, and I'm loving it, guys. This is fun, right? Hanging with Definitely. Oregon winemaker, some guys from Georgia. So uh, <laughs> yeah, let's Thanks keep for going. Us. So so wine in Oregon, you know, wine and food pairing. I want to keep going with that. We want to have a dinner tonight, so we're going to dig a pit and uh, smoke some oysters with bacon, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. I'm going to an oyster party. That's where my wine will be at tonight. Oh, wow. yeah. And where's yeah. that? Um, I keep messing up their name, but it's raw. I want to say one seven six or seven six one. But I think it's 176. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sounds more right. Mm. Nick, what was, what was the, the, the last beer you poured us, the large bottle? The large bottle was, so Sweetwater just had their 20th anniversary, so they released that as like a special celebration ale. So it's a double it's really IPA uh, that's hopped with citra hops, and then they add uh, Brett to it right at the end. So like it's very young in the bottle, so right now it's pretty... Hop forward and the the sort of like wild yeast flavor isn't there, but as it sits in the bottle for another couple months, I think you'll start to see like the Brett overtake some of the hop and it'll get a little funkier and wilder and stuff like that. But the correct term is DMS. <laughs> Which one? The correct term is DMS. That's what it tastes like. And then Nick, is there another beer? Yeah, so one? this is uh, this is a really fun one. Uh, Let's pass that around. This is from Creature Comforts. We actually oh, have wow, we have a listener delicious. on a uh, online beer sessions radio. And he um, writes down on Untapped. If you don't know about Untapped, all the beers that we taste online. So, mm, Ethan Soskal, good buddy. This one's great. So it's a Berliner Weiss, so it's like a sour, uh, and it's brewed with a little bit of cranberry. So they, they do a year-round sour called Athena, and then this is called Athena Paradiso. That's really tart. So, yeah. It, people always expect it to be sweet when they see the bright red beer, like a lambic mm. in the glass. So we actually just did a Creature Comforts philosophy of flavor <laughs> dinner, and this was our opening course, and we served this with the oyster, mm. and we took this beer uh, and cooked it down with a little bit of vinegar, sugar, and a touch of uh, tangerine, and made that the mignonette for the oyster. Say, that would be amazing, yeah. a mignonette sauce. And the pairing, I think, was probably yeah, the best the, the best pairing yeah, of the that night. Oysters. Mm-hmm. That tart Christmas on that beer with the oyster was great. You know, for, for beer dinners and, and pairings, let's talk about your service staff. So in Atlanta, 
you know, what, what, is, what is this typical style of service? Is it more casual? You know, uh, how do you get your servers? You know, is there training you do in-house or yeah, you expect I mean, them there, to be There's a ton trained? of training that goes into the front of house staff. What we try to have them be is sort of that line in between. We're not a white tablecloth restaurant. We're not, you know, overly fancy. Um, we want our servers to be casual but professional. That's, that's what we go for. So a lot, of, a lot of knowledge. Teach them all the things they need to know to talk intelligently about the food and about the wine and about the beer, but don't have it be a stuffy atmosphere. You know, one thing in Charleston, I want to give a big shout-out to Charleston. The, the, the service Ooh. and hospitality here is amazing. Oh, absolutely. The time I came in from Edwin's, Edwin's Oast, I was at the Darling Oyster Bar last night. I was at uh, the Prohibition Bar. I'm really impressed. And coming from New York City. You hit a couple bars last yeah. night, huh, Jimmy? Mm-hmm. I had a few places. We brought Ooh. some uh, Palmetto Pills to the hotel to David. David, our engineer over there. All right. He, 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 he gets paid, but also he runs on beer. So <laughs> got to keep the beer coming. But I would say that the service in this town is unbelievable. And uh, a yeah. big shout-out to Charleston for the, the, the staff, Woo-hoo. the service at the yeah. bars and restaurants. And how do you think it compares in Atlanta, the service? I will, for being an outsider, I will say it's kind of the similar. I mean, one thing, you know, I'm actually originally from Marietta, Georgia, and I miss about the service in the South is that everyone takes care of everyone. So I will say in Charleston and Atlanta, the service is amazing. Everyone is amazing. Like, they take care of their guests fully. No, I, th- I thought there was professionalism and general courtesy. Definitely. Even when I was, I'm going to say it again, Edmunds Oast, uh, he mentioned taking an Uber, and I asked for a local option, and they had one, Green City Taxi. You know, if you guys are in here, call Green City Taxi. They'll pick you up. they get to know you. I do like that. I guess that's what Southern hospitality is, right? Yeah, definitely. Getting to know people and courtesy. And, uh, well, that's like when Nick and I do all these different fundraiser dinners. We love for it to be uh, family style. So you're passing around. You're getting to know that community, getting all that Southern hospitality kind of d- dining together as a group not Interacting isolated more. yeah it's your, your own little bubble or something so we if, love that. if I were taking back to taking a butchering 101 with you because yes. I want to yeah. I'm fascinated Come by on it come on down um, you know what are some of the first you know cured products that you would have someone make uh, we do um, the first ones you would make would be like a, a whole cure like pancetta or bacon because um, once you grind it, it gets a little more tricky. So just being able to, you know, use that whole pork belly, cure it in your fridge. You can even hang that in your fridge as the pancetta and just let it continue to age. Cured meat should be fun. It shouldn't be scary. And that's that's our whole thing with our tagline, Know Your Butcher. Should, like, should put that on a we're T-shirt, Rusty. <laughs> Meat's not scary. So I'm at home. I want to make a, mm, a pork delicious. belly from a farmer. I want to cure it. What's that kind of a, a, a basic recipe? Basic cure- recipe would be... Um, Two parts brown sugar to one part kosher salt. It's a very basic recipe. Two to one. Salt, sugar, and thyme. Right? Yeah, That's salt, it. sugar, and thyme. You do, you do like a dry rub? And coat do a dry rub. So put it in a zipper seal bag. We're not going to promote any companies, but just a bag with a zipper on it. Put it in that with a little uh, two times brown sugar to one part salt. Um, sit in that, let it sit in there every now and then. Massage it to, to redistribute it for seven to nine days, depending on the thickness. And then uh, lightly rinse it and hang it in your fridge and let it dry out. Once it loses about a third of its weight to water loss, it's ready. And then you just cook it like bacon? Yeah, you could. I mean, that, that would be more like pancetta. If you wanted to smoke it, it would be more like bacon. But very easy. It should be a lot of fun. And then how, how would I, if I did that cure, uh-huh. how would I smoke it in a big green egg? In a big green egg, uh, you would get your big green egg Cold to about smoke. 200 degrees. 
and you would smoke it till you have an internal temperature of 140. The pigment and meat sets at 138, so you just want to go a little bit above that. Anything above an internal temp of 140, you're just melting fat. So you just about how long will that take? It'll take you about three hours. So when you half. hit the temp, then you're done. You're done. It's not about and timing. And then chill it's it overnight before you slice it, and then slice it and fry up your bacon. That's good. But I'm getting hungry. But have fun with it. Like throw some chilies in there or some some herbs from your garden. Just make it fun. Add things that you like to it. So, Nick, I, I love Charleston. I'm having fun. Mm. What are some places that you've enjoyed eating at or drinking beer at this week? I haven't drank any beer this week, actually. Never. So, yeah. Well, this beer is delicious. <laughs> There's one place cl- close for business downtown. It's called Close for Business. It's a beer bar. I was recommended. I couldn't get in last night, but I don't know if you it, went It there. must be good, then. Has yeah. anyone been to close? Is, is this more of a wine crowd or a beer crowd? Who's Woo. wine? Who's beer? Who's beer? Woo! There's more beer, too, if you want it. We got um, a little bit. Well, David's holding on to one of those over there. Try this one. This is Kvass. It's a sour beer, 2.7%. It's made with uh, bread, rye bread, from Edmunds Oast out in uh, North Morrison in Charleston. Maybe you should try that, too, Nick. But it goes with you. I like this Berlin advice a lot. We try to talk about beers and taste them on the show, um, but we're also here at the festival. So, And and as as a a winemaker, Tam, I know that you like beer, too. What are some of the breweries out in your area that you'd recommend? I mean, you can only get or, Oregon. Oregon's got some great breweries. Yeah, I know. You got some good choices. Uh, the beer that we go to in our household is Freem, and they're at the Gorge. Off, oh, Hood River, actually. Sorry. Uh, amazing Pilsner they make. IPA. Blonde IPA. Um, I'm a more cocktail person. I drink too much beer and wine, so now I do cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You need cocktails is to change your palate, right? It cleans my palate yeah. really well. I usually go back to beer. If I drink too many spirits, I need a beer. Mine's just one mojito and I'm good. I keep it one. <laughs> You're good. You're on the wrong show then. <laughs> I think we're on three here now. Nice. But and then down in Atlanta, so besides your, your guys' places, you know, go to Salt Yard, pick up some charcuterie at, at Rusty's. I won't call it Rusty Bowers, but it's Pine Street Market. Pine Street Market. You got a great name, man. Thank you. Can we buy that apron, the leather apron? You can. Yeah, this one's now well scented. I've been wearing it. <laughs> you should charge more. Yeah. Charge mm, donation. On it. Mm, that smell. You guys want to do some? Uh, I got a T-shirt to give away. Who likes this T-shirt? Right. I oh, like wow. beer. It's a classic. Mm. When we first started our show on Heritage Radio Network eight years ago, I've been doing this a long time. I was driving to, to one of my first shows and playing an old radio station, and a song came on by Tom T. Hall. It goes, I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. And it basically it be on the song. song. I like beer. Well, it was, but then we, we don't really have the license for it. Oh. So now we have, you'll hear it at the end, an original song. But that song inspired me because it talked about how you can keep drinking beer, and it, it doesn't get you up or down. Sometimes wine makes you sleepy. You know, <laughs> sometimes liquor gets too much, you know. So right. I do like beer. But we have this T-shirt. We're going to raffle it off and do a question. And I'm going to ask, I think this, this is a pretty interesting panel. You guys are going to ask a couple questions, and whoever, whoever has the best answer, we're going to give that T-shirt to. So what would you want to ask your, um, oh, there's another one, wrap in five minutes. All right, that's why we're doing it. Internal clock after eight years. So nice. you guys think of, these are festival goers here at Charleston Wine and Food Festival. What's the question that you want to ask them about either your experience or about their experience here? Must be something you want to ask somebody. We'll ask three questions, this one is, each. Yeah, Nick, you go first. I, I was going to let you go while I thought, actually, Rusty. All right. Have you got a, have you got a good question? Well, here's the yeah. question for you. Is there a place in the festival where you can buy wine to go? And if so, what's the name of it? Oh, I know that one. What is it? Bottles. It's 
called Bottles. Yeah. So there's actually wow. a, a wine store at the Wait, festival. Are we answering our own questions? Are you good? Okay. <laughs> All right. Rusty, what's your question? What's my question? Um, what is the name of the grill that uh, has the swivel, the swivel racks that can go up and down? Uh, yes, Am you're I in the back. To answer? No. Kudu. 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 What's kudu? kudu? Well, it's a grill and an African animal. It's like a <laughs> giant antelope deer thing. All right. Was Nick. it the one that did this? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, around. I cooked yeah. it yesterday. You got to ask a question that, that somebody can answer. Uh, what temperature are you supposed to cook your bacon to? See if they were listening to Rusty when he was talking or ignoring oh, them no. like I was. <laughs> Correct, 138. All right, come on yeah. up. Yeah, come on Woo. up. Woo. For somebody. Woo. Is it a tie or what? All right. Got to get a photo with Katie over there. You got it. Come on, dude. Over here. This way. Photo up. That's the eighth year anniversary Beer Sessions Radio t-shirt. Look at that. Come on. You can take photos while we keep talking. We're going to wrap it up, guys. Nice. Nice. Anything else you want to say? Like Anything we should check out today in, in the Culinary Village? Because I'm starving. I'm, who's hungry? I'm hungry. Woo. Yeah, well, we're still, uh, we're still raffling off this... Uh, Mini Max egg, the big green egg, the small one that you can pick up and carry over at our table. So, guys, come on out. Guys, go over there. I'm going to go right yeah. there and try some of the Springer chicken yeah, on the definitely. big green egg. I think uh, Eric Fulkerson's cooking some Springer chicken over in the uh, third space tent. That'll be oh, delicious. Wow. And mm. uh, our boy from Atlanta, Nick Melvin, is about to be cooking some, too. So and Wonderful. Before you were helping someone out that's cooking fried chicken. Thir- I was helping that's out cooking space. some chicken. That's the third space. And I was going to say, in the wine section, there's a boat mm. photo you can take. A boat a photo, yeah. There's a boat, a boat photo? photo, yeah. They were. Are you talking about the little Le Creuset boat that all the drunk people were getting in? Oh. At the end yeah, of the festival in the wine section. Wow. Wonderful. There's one girl that had a little trouble sure getting back out of it. Home, but, everybody, yeah. watch out, kids. Raise your glass. Yeah, check out the Green, green oh, City Taxi. Good. But picture out the sponsors for this segment. Brought Heritage Radio Network down from New York City. You got Big Green Egg and Springer Chicken, and you gotta say your names one more time and your affiliation. Ladies first again. Thank you, um, Tom and Mom Tazi from Mesa Winery out of McMinnville, Oregon. Rusty Bowers. Pine Street Market. <laughs> and Nick Leahy from Salt Yard. All right, and this is Beer mm. Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our producers and everybody. we got Katie, Kat, and David all down here from New York City. Catch you Thank next you time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for having us. Here's our so theme much. song. Listen in. David, right? Take the theme song. Here it goes. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills. In business since 1974, they've transformed ancient cooking vessels into modern-day masterpieces. Today, they sell seven sizes of the egg, as well as hundreds of accessories designed to make your cooking fun, entertaining, and delicious. Often copied but never equaled, the Big Green Egg is the ultimate cooking experience. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com. This episode is also brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.